Today is the Sunday known as the Baptism of the Lord Sunday. Uh, we celebrate it usually the Sunday right after Epiphany Sunday um, in the church year. And um, it is, it's, it's a time of great reflection for me upon baptism and also wonder uh, as we enter into this story. So hear it now from Matthew's gospel in the third chapter, starting in verse 13. At that time, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan River so that John would baptize him. John tried to stop him and said, I need to be baptized by you, yet you come to me? Jesus answered, allow me to be baptized now. This is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. So John agreed to baptize Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, he immediately came up out of the water. Heaven was opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God coming down like a dove and resting on him. A voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I dearly love. I find happiness in him. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My then fiancé and I were sitting in our marriage counseling appointment with the pastor who would marry us, and we were doing the session about conflict and fighting, and he said to us, what is your biggest fight? Now, you have to understand that my then fiance and I were seminary students at the time, and so we quickly answered him, well, obviously, it's about baptism." To which he did even more beyond what you did. And he said, y'all such nerds and goodness gracious. And we said, no, you don't understand. You see, because I was at a revival at this Baptist church where I was working that spring semester of my final year of seminary. And and Laura had come with me for this last night of the revival to really see what's a revival all about. And how does a revival really happen in the year 2009 or 10? Which is a good question, but for another day. And so we're having this the service there, and somehow, or some way, and I was asking Laura last night, what, what, how did it even come up? And she said, I don't really know. And I said, neither do I, but it's okay. And so then we, we left the service in Henderson that night, and it's like 7.15 at night, and there we are arguing in the parking lot of the church over baptism, mainly that my wife had grown up Episcopalian and was baptized as an infant, and I was in the Baptist tradition, and so we baptized correctly uh, in the Baptist tradition. <laughs> Thus the fight, right? Uh, and, and, and so, so we, we, we're, we're out there and we're, we're, we're carrying on and such in the parking lot at First Baptist Henderson in downtown Henderson, North Carolina. And we said, we got to go settle this somewhere. And so we went where all good fights are settled, to Denny's. And, and so, which hardly exists anymore. You can tell your kids about the Grand Slam one day. But anyway, so we're at the Denny's. It's 8 o'clock. I don't think there are any pies. We, we had a Coke. And there we are, hashing it out over the the merits of infant baptism versus believers' baptism in that space in the Denny's. And at one point, my then fiancé says to me, 
Are you saying that my baptism isn't valid? Would you have our babies baptized? To which I was frozen because, you see, I was on the route to become a Baptist pastor. And I was like, well, heck no, I wouldn't baptize our babies. That's not how you're supposed to do it. And so, of course, I baptized ours here four years ago. So we know how that went. Um, But (laughs) so, so anyway... I imagine that some of us here grew up in different traditions or understandings about baptism. Some of us, even if we grew up in a tradition that practiced infant baptism, we got a lot of like people who grew up Catholic sitting here who, for whom baptism uh, is a little bit different of a practice even than, than the Methodist one. We got some folks among us who grew up in a the, in, in, in more Baptistic type of tradition um, who, who see the symbolism and the power of what happens and baptism with full immersion because they're not scared of water in that tradition uh, and, and they see the power of that, right? And so what happens for me when I read baptism stories, when I think about baptism, is, is that I immediately float back to Denny's, right? And I immediately f- float back to Reverend Kevin Baker sitting there with us and saying, what's your, what's your biggest fight? And, and, us, and us talking about that. So I want us to look a little bit at the baptism of Jesus first before we get into some of these finer points. And that is that Jesus guides the direction of this narrative in Matthew from the beginning. He chose to move on from Galilee intentionally to where John was stationed at the Jordan River so that he could be baptized. The story will move this way because Jesus says it will. So when he encounters John, John gives Jesus an objection There would be a natural objection about authority, right? He says, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me, which I completely understand John's point, and he seems right. John told us, right, that one who would come, who wouldn't be, his his sandals he wouldn't be worthy to untie. And now he's here. So shouldn't the entire script flip from now on? Shouldn't, Shouldn't Jesus come on the scene and all of a sudden be the baptizer, throwing water on everyone? But that's not what happens. Jesus tells him to allow him to be baptized now. In fact, these are the first words Jesus will speak in this entire gospel of Matthew. And he says, this is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. At first glance, these words sound like a prophetic fulfillment, like somewhere in Isaiah it predicted that the Messiah would be baptized. But it doesn't. Instead, the idea about fulfilling all righteousness seems to be telling us something about Jesus and obedience. Jesus will be obedient to God's plan and way. This is the way of the Son of God and the way of the servant that Jesus lives into. In many ways, this obedience is a flash forward to what will happen on the cross where Jesus also fulfills all righteousness. In this text, we are not given the why of why Jesus was baptized. But what we see with Jesus is his example of full obedience and submission to God. So John, right, he relents and he baptizes Jesus. And when Jesus comes up out of the water, something happens. And this something is significant. It shows us that a new day has arrived. Commentator Eugene Boring writes this. He says, the heavens are opened. A voice comes from heaven. The spirit is given. The Judaism of Matthew's day tended to regard all of these elements as the revelatory gifts of God that had happened in biblical times and that no longer occurred, but would reappear in the last days. 
In other words, what this commentator is saying and what, 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 what Matthew is wanting us to see is that the days of the Messiah are here. When the heavens are opened, when the voice comes from heaven, when the Spirit descends, it's the last days. These are new times. That's what Matthew wanted us to see in this picture. But this is also the launching point of Jesus' earthly ministry. Right after this moment, if you keep reading, he'll be immediately taken by the Spirit to be tempted. And I think that we are supposed to see something else from this moment of the baptism of Jesus. Something that tells us about who Jesus is for us. Commentator James Dunn writes this. He says, Jesus chooses to go all the way in being human. He chooses to draw on the resources available to mere mortals in such circumstances. The guidance of a word from God and the empowerment and leading of the Spirit. Thus, while Jesus needed neither cleansing nor spirit endowment, he willingly received both to be like us. Friends, Jesus fulfilled all righteousness and was baptized because he was choosing full identification with us as human. He will need this assurance then of a word from God and the presence of the Holy Spirit when he goes into the wilderness to be tempted. In fact, the power of divinity is what Jesus denies to Satan during his temptation, right? He says like, oh, you can just jump off that ledge and the angels will come and catch you, right? Like you can bring them all about, right? And Jesus tells him, um, to not tempt him in that way in, in the desert. So this is the baptism of Jesus. He obviously didn't need to be baptized to cleanse him from sin, but he does model for us both an obedience to God and a filling of the Spirit that I believe that tells us something about baptism. Now, I think many of us have questions about baptism that get raised whenever we hear or read about baptism, maybe not as many or as conflictual as mine, But let's address those real issues. One of them is this. It is that Baptists do it better. All right? This is my personal opinion, right? So, or, and, and, and this, this is followed up by a parenthesis. Can't I be rebaptized, pastor? Okay? This is a question that gets asked to folks like me. I've heard and experienced this question a variety of ways. Some of you have grown children who are connected to a Baptist or non-denominational church now and have been rebaptized. Others of you have what I would call immersion envy. You've been to a powerful baptismal service and have seen someone so moved and affected and they went down into the water and were raised to walk in newness of life and they all wet and, it's, and, and they're really wet, right? And it is like, not like sprinkly wet, like really wet. And it is powerful and there's imagery in it. And you, and you would love to be rebaptized so that it means something for you, you might say. I've had students in my youth groups who desired this through the years, and truly, I'm not allowed to baptize someone again. In the United Methodist Church, once someone is baptized, we receive them into membership, regardless of what church it was and what age someone was upon baptism. And what I want to tell people is this. If you are following Jesus now, and you are passionate about what God is doing and and working in the world, then your baptism took it worked. So in other words, we don't got to do it again because it worked the first time. That's, what, that's what's happening. You don't need another one, in other words. But others will say, well, well I, I just don't remember. You know, I was a little baby. Some of y'all would say, like, they didn't allow cameras in church back then or the camera wasn't invented back then. However, you know. Um, <laughs> and, 
you know, or, or you'd say like, well, great, I have pictures of it, but I don't remember it. You see, I believe that confirmation is a natural step on that journey when we don't remember. We say the same words at confirmation over someone that we do at baptism. Well, some of you will say, I had to go to confirmation. My parents made me. Or this evil pastor is running it right now for our middle and high school students, and it's 45 weeks long, and good Lord, won't it stop. There's three among us who are saying that right now. And so, like, um, but I believe that we have markers and signposts along the ways of our spiritual journeys. Perhaps you went on a significant spiritual retreat at some time. Maybe there was a particular Sunday where God spoke to you powerfully. Maybe you were in a deep valley somewhere and God's presence just came over you in a powerful way. And friends, what I need you to hear is this. Well, baptism happens once. The baptismal journey is a lifetime. Well, baptism happens once. The baptismal journey is a lifetime. You see, we die to sin and are raised to walk in newness of life, those words of Paul about baptism, all of the time. We learn what it means throughout our lives. We don't need to be rebaptized to understand that, but we can remember our baptism like we will here today. Here's the promise, I think, of baptism, and it's a real promise and powerful promise. God does something. God does something. I can't tell you exactly what it is, and the story of the baptism of Jesus doesn't tell us exactly either. I don't think that someone who isn't baptized is punished forever, but I do think that baptism does some good. I think it's a sacrament, which simply means that God works through ordinary stuff. That's a good definition of a sacrament. God works through ordinary stuff. And friends, in baptism, God does something. It's not necessarily about you remembering. I was baptized in my Baptist church growing up at the age of 10. I was committing my life to God in the most sincere way a fourth grader could. But I didn't really get it fully. And when an adult commits their life to God and they come to these waters of baptism, I'd venture to bet they don't fully get it either. Because baptism is not about us. We are not the subject of the verb. God is. God always is. We are the ones who receive the baptism. We are the ones who receive it but we are not somehow worthy of it. The way that Laura and I didn't break our engagement at Denny's in Henderson was for me to recognize that in baptism, God does something. You see, in the tradition where I grew up, we didn't really talk about God doing stuff in it. It was about my claim to my faith that was, that was noticed in baptism. Rather, I believe that in baptism, when we understand that God is the actor, it's not about the individual's claim to faith. It is about God's claim upon that person. And age does not matter when God is claiming someone. For what we see in the baptism of Jesus is true for us. God comes to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God claims us as God's child. In other words, God embraces us as God's very self, 
and God calls us God's own. That's worth celebrating. And it's not worth worrying exactly how it happens. Thanks be to God. Amen.